0: The following episode of the 9pm edict contains politics, strong language, dodgy opinions and adult themes. Earlier today I visited His Excellency the Governor-General and advised him uh, to call an election for the House of Representatives and half of the Senate on May 21, and he accepted my advice.
1: Hello, I'm Stilgerian. It's Thursday, the 14th of April, 2022. Welcome to the 9pm election unhinging week the first.
0: I love this country and I love Australians. And I know Australians have been through a very tough time. I also know that Australia continues to face very tough challenges in the years ahead. And I get it that people are tired of politics as we go into this election. But this election and this campaign is incredibly important because there is so much at stake for Australia and our future. This election is about you, no one else. It's about our country and it's about its
1: future. Well then, gentle listener, we've got an election campaign underway. So, um, pour yourself a drink. Cheers. This election is a choice, tweeted the Liberal Party on Sunday morning. Fuck me dead. It's a choice. So apparently those names on the ballot paper, we're meant to choose some of them. Wow, thank you. Thank you to the Liberal Party of Australia. So, yeah, we we have an election coming up on the 21st of May, and in a burst of extremely poor judgement, I've decided to produce a six-part mini series of the 9pm edict, which is this podcast, uh, with an election theme, uh, with episodes appearing each Thursday, and this is the first. Uh, The question, though, is what the fuck will I do with this podcast? because basically everyone else has one, so much of it is horse race coverage, and then other blogs and podcasts are commentary on the tactics and performance, and then others are commentary on the media coverage. So if I then comment on, on that, that is just stupidly fucking meta, and I, I think it's it's... It's not what I want to do? I don't know. Greg Jericho, uh, who's Grog's Gamut on Twitter, he writes for The Guardian and stuff, uh, on Sunday he did a uh, tweet, and I quote, my one meagre hope is for most media not to cover the election like they are quasi-campaign directors. Morrison focusing on Queensland this week so he can shore up support means that, blah, blah, blah. And he, he's got a point. So much of it, uh, so much of the coverage is about whether this thing he said worked or not, their performance. And so little of it on matters of substance, matters of policy. But then it's so much fun covering the gaffes and things, isn't it? So I've decided, at least at this early stage, not to overthink it. I'm just going to react... Uh, from my personal perspective, um, I'm someone who's already experienced routine uh, federal elections in my adult life. I can probably even remember about half of them. And I've seen some stuff before. I've seen how things are changing. I I have opinions on things. If you follow me on Twitter, you will know that. Uh, so let's just see how it goes. Let me know. Uh, to get a few little things out of the way, first, I am enjoying the stream of notification emails from Parliament House, as all the bills that I've been tracking, you know, the things working their way through Parliament, are now all coming back marked not proceeding, because of course, when the election is called, Parliament is dissolved, and that means any legislation that was on the way through, it's all over. Doesn't matter. Go on. I mean, some will come back and that'll be interesting to see uh, where, what uh, the next government decides to, uh, to keep and what they decide to uh, leave to find its way down the memory hole. I'm also enjoying the first of the uh, poorly judged photo opportunities. I like Tuesday. Uh, Scott Morrison went to Reem Australia in Rydalmere in Sydney, uh, remake things like hot water systems and you know plumbing devices and stuff stuff like that. The uh, Harry was promising that a coalition government would create 1.3 million jobs by 2027, which you know I mean, how do you promise that? I mean, you don't. You can't. It's just silly. It's just this hand-waving. But the great thing is about that, where he's at somewhere saying, I'm going to create all these jobs, that company, Reem Australia, uh, was uh, planning to cut some of its jobs in a restructure that will move uh, more of its operations to Vietnam. (laughs) Yeah, you picked the wrong one, you drongo. Andrew Brown on Twitter noted uh, that these TV packages write themselves, the PM is choosing to spend the day in hot water. Oh dear. And uh, a final little thing I noticed in this little introductory bit is that we've started to see photographs of Scott Morrison wearing a floral headdress and people are mocking him for that. I, I just want to remind you that using those photographs to mock Morrison's holiday in Hawaii is racist. That's actually a ceremonial headdress uh, from when Tuvalu hosted the Pacific Islands Forum back in 2020. Now, mock Morrison by all means. I mean, please do, in fact. But another culture's symbols are not symbols of ridicule. An alternative explanation, if you like. If you can't be bothered differentiating between Hawaii and Tuvalu, then you're a cunt. That headdress, by the way, it's called a kula or parlay, I believe. And according to Wikipedia, the task of creating that headband or headdress is often reserved to a specific person, such as a a daughter of the chief. Morrison was just, you know, on a a work trip, doing his job and and dressing in the ceremonial uh, headdress and shirt that everyone else at the conference was wearing. Do try to think beyond just mocking people for their appearance, although (laughs) I guess we'll see plenty of that on the campaign trail, and indeed, I will be guilty of it myself. Trust me, I will. Anyway, let's get on with it. There will be segments in this podcast, an actual format. They may change as I go along, but uh, let's give it a, a little bit of structure. The first one is my uh, reporting whinges of the week. So, yes, uh, despite what I said, I am going to be doing some meta-media commentary here. Three little things I want to get off my chest today. One is the word hustings, about uh, politicians being out on the hustings talking to people. It's, it's a horrible, old-fashioned word, and it does not properly capture how things work today. It's only ever used by by journalists during election campaigns. Uh, it actually is an old Norse word. It comes from hus meaning house and thing meaning an assembly or parliament. In fact, I think some of the Scandinavian countries still have their parliament called the all thing uh, and so on. So it, it is it just means a meeting. So just say they're out meeting people you know, just use normal language. It's quite a small gripe, really. Uh, The second one, a little more serious. uh, The other night, uh, Greens leader Adam Bant was on ABC's uh, 7.30 program. Lee Sales asked him this question.
0: The Greens are proposing a billionaire's tax where people um, earning huge incomes would face an extra 6% tax. But Many of those 131 people would already be some of the country's biggest donors to charities, some of the biggest philanthropic givers. You tax them more and, and A, they have less to immediately give to the causes that they support, which has a big flow and effect to major charitable organisations, and, B, wouldn't their direct charitable spending be a more efficient and and, um, uh, sort of, I guess, direct use of their resources than having it siphoned through government and then reallocated?
1: Now, Lee, Lee, Ms Sales. Sorry, I've never bet you, Miss Sales. I won't play Adam Band's answer. It was basically that billionaires have made a lot of money during the pandemic, and maybe they ought to pay their share. Fair enough. What pisses me off about this is is the kind of assumptions in there that the largesse of billionaires is is a thing that the government would disrupt somehow and be inefficient about. The thing is, when billionaires are generous, they're not really that generous. The amounts of money we're talking about are like a minuscule part of their wealth. It's back-of-the-couch money and it's tax-deductible. It's, it's kind of <laughs> it's virtue signalling, to use that horrible, horrible term. Do we want billionaires deciding what does and does not get funded? I say no. That's what the government is for, that we get the tax in, the revenue, the people's money, the taxpayers' money, the citizens' money collectively. Ooh, that sounds like socialism, doesn't it? But then the government decides uh, on the basis of of priorities across the whole of society what does and does not get funded, not just uh, the particular high-profile or or, um, pet projects of billionaires. I don't really know what to say more about that, other than I'm, other than I'm extremely disappointed uh, with Lee Sales for asking. What a fucked up question! And finally, number three, Greg Jennett, the ABC's Greg Jennett on Sunday, uh, as the election was being announced, uh, and I don't have the grab. It was on ABC uh, News TV, and I wasn't recording at the time, and I can't be asked getting a, an ABC person to dig it out of the the, the system for me, but. Uh, it was explained by uh, by commentators that maybe there will be that horrible thing, a hung parliament, when there is not a clear majority uh, of one party or the other, which means, oh my fucking God, they have to negotiate with with minor parties and in independents to get legislation through. That's a good thing. It shouldn't be called a hung parliament. It should be called a balanced parliament or a not oh a not dominated non-dictatorial parliament i don't know but the hung parliament is i think it's not hung at all it can it can just debate and pass legislation like any other parliament they just might have to work at it they just might have to have compromises but greg Jennett, after he's you know heard that it was a hung parliament he made some comment to the effect that, oh, hung parliament's, you know, difficult for journalists to, to report on. It's all, you know, parliament's all more complex, but I suppose it might be good for the voters, he threw away at the end. Okay. Yes, for the voters. Good for the voters. That's, that's what it's all about, you stupid cunt. I will look at policy. I'm going to look at a policy now. Shall I call this segment Policy Watch? Oh, it's all a bit grand. Um, I want to uh, point to something that the Australian Unemployed Workers Union has put together, which is their election scorecard uh, from the point of view of their members, the unemployed people trying to survive on job seeker and other such things. They've put together, as I say, an election scorecard which uh, rates the parties against a, uh, a, a list of things. So the parties they're looking at, uh, Labor, uh, the Coalition, which they're annoyingly calling the LNP. The LNP is only a thing in Queensland. Uh, it's the Coalition, otherwise. Uh, One Nation Party, United Australia Party, and, of course, the Greens. And they're looking at uh, issues such as uh, bringing welfare payments up to at least the poverty line, um, abolish the so-called mutual obligations, which uh, people on Job Seeker need to just stuff they need to do. It's mostly just to annoy them. Abolish the whole work for the doll thing, abolish the cashless welfare card, which is the thing by which some people, mostly Aboriginal, um, have their income controlled and don't actually get money into their bank accounts uh, when they're a job uh, job seeker. They get a, a debit card that can only be used in certain places for certain things. Uh, they want to get rid of all means testing. Uh, public employment services should come back rather than be them uh, being privatised. They want a royal commission into the robo-debt debacle. Uh, they want guaranteed public housing uh, which is interesting. I'd lo- I'll have to dig more into what they actually mean by that. And they want medical and dental ex uh, mental health and dental uh, expenses to be available on Medicare. That's a range of things. And let's just say that the uh, Coalition, One Nation, and United Australia Party. Uh, ha- uh, no, none of them. None of those things. Labor. Uh, maybe abolish the cashless welfare card. It is unclear, and they have uh, committed to uh, establish a Royal Commission into the robo debt Scheme. Only those two things. They've bailed out of bringing welfare payments uh, up to the poverty line, and indeed, they did have a plan to review the rate. Let's just have a review looking at what the rate should be, they have pulled out of that committing uh, that commitment as well according to shadow assistant minister for the treasury andrew lee so uh, you know agreeing to have a review is is a pretty lame fucking commitment to begin with and no they they're not even doing that interestingly the greens score a big green tick on all but two of those things they they haven't Uh, agreed to uh, abolish uh, the means testing. I'm not quite sure how that relates. Um, And uh, they haven't spoken about public housing as such. But all the rest, uh, yeah. So from that point of view and just looking at the scorecard – The Greens' policies uh, do rate very well, according to the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union. Uh, If there's a particular uh, policy set up you'd like me to compare in, in future episodes, create my own little scorecard perhaps, do let me know. As I said, I'm going to be doing these these little election episodes weekly on Thursdays. So the next one will be Thursday, the 21st of April. But on Friday, the 22nd, the very next day, I'm recording um, a special guest episode with John Birmingham, writer, raconteur, reprobate, etc., etc., if you would like uh, to insert your brain into that uh, that podcast, by which I mean if you are a supporter and you have trigger words or a conversation topic or something like that to uh, to, to uh, for us, well, for John and I to talk about, uh, do get them uh, to me by 8pm on Thursday night. That's 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Thursday the 21st of April. Uh, and then... We'll put them in with JB on the twenty second. Um, what else do I need to tell you about? Oh, I'm wondering. In past elections, I've I've done live dramatic readings, uh, such such drama as it was, uh, of some of the the odd uh, policies. Like I did uh, one nation party's policies one year. I took nearly three hours to read them all through. Uh, then in the 2019 election. Um, I, I read some of the, the weirdest stuff. Well, I'm thinking I could perhaps read the United Australia Party policies out there, a bit of a hoot. Um, if you think I should, let me know. Uh, This podcast is, of course, made possible by you, uh, the generous listener. I want to thank uh, Miriam Mulcahy for taking out an Edict 2 schooner subscription this week. Thanks very much, Miriam. Uh, That gets you some uh, trigger words, so send them in to me uh, in due course. Uh, And others, please do send trigger words. If they're not for a particular guest, I put them in the glass jar of transparency and, uh, you know, they come out randomly. Uh, This podcast being outside the Autumn Series special guest episodes, uh, isn't covered by that. Thanks to the people who supported that, you've got special guest episodes coming up. Uh, But if you'd like to support uh, the podcast in general, including this one, please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip. That's the 9pmedict.com slash tip. Or just tell your friends, send them a link to an episode you like, get them to... uh, uh, to just look for the nine pm edict on the podcast app of their choice. The more listeners, the better, really. And I suppose you can rate and review and like and subscribe. Well, that, you know, you know, you know what to do. You're not, you're not dumb. But well, you're not as dumb as you look. The ABC is running uh, its Vote Compass thing again this year. I did say on Twitter I was going to talk about that in um, this episode because I have views, I have opinions, but I'm going to do that next time uh, because today I want to talk about the fallout from something that happened on Tuesday night. Now, on Tuesday, uh, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison... uh, (laughs) We, we do that now, we have to sound like Sean if it's become become the way we do it. You can hear other people doing it, on uh, probably subconsciously, uh, on on other media outlets too. Uh, but the Prime Minister uh, was having drinks with the media in Western Sydney on Tuesday night uh, and there was a gate crasher uh, who recorded uh, this and then posted it on TikTok.
2: Can I ask one question? Yeah, yeah, sure. One one question. Yeah, I'm just up the mountain, so I came down the way. I just got. Yeah, one well of my mate works behind the bar, so he oh, okay, said so yeah. I just yeah. want to ask one uh, question, Scarmo. Look, um, across across what's
0: the river, over you don't mind, what's I'm just gonna no, why is it recording? Oh I'm just because i well, I just want to yeah. ask you a question. Mate, I'm sorry, this is a private event. Oh well, sorry about that. Yeah, this is the this is a media. I'm hosting oh, some drinks for the I'm, media event. I just want to
2: ask you know, a question. Sorry, what's going on? Scoma, across across the river here, across the Pan River People lost eight. their houses. Eight. People eight. lost eight. their eight. houses eight. and they were burnt. You're a, you're a disgrace.
1: You, bet you are you a, a disgrace. You bet you so, Wade, so. Oh, well, whoa. I, I mean, Scott Morrison is a disgrace, obviously, but uh, there's a lot to unpack in what just happened. And the first thing I want to mention is that uh, when that story was posted... Um, the, the reaction, uh, certainly on Twitter and elsewhere, was, what do, you, what do you mean the journalists are all drinking with the Prime Minister and it's off the record? How is how is that a thing? Uh, how, how can they hold the government to account when they're out having free drinks, you know, on the Prime Minister? How, you know, uh, etc. And And that's a fair question. Now, I don't know whether those drinks were free or not. Uh, or was it a private room somewhere? Is it a private function? Let, let's not get into that. Let's talk about this idea that politicians, particularly the leaders during an election campaign, um, host drinks for the travelling media pack. And uh, not to pick on Scott Morrison, Anthony Albanese Albanese had had done the same the night before. It's a thing that happens. And that shocked people that it is a thing that happens, but it is. It's It's nothing new. Um, And in days gone by when they travelled with the Prime Minister, you know, in a a couple of buses or it was on a train back in the days or whatever, there would indeed be, you know, meals and drinks at the end of the day. Now, I want to quote a couple of people here. One is Jonathan Green at the ABC and uh, uh, he now is also editor of Mianjin. Uh, I should probably disclose they're a client. Um, And he said... Yes, of course, all parties host drinks for media travelling in their campaigns. And yes, it's long established. And yes, it's deemed unremarkable. And yes, that is a fair summary of what is wrong with the insider culture of political reporting. Rob Scott, who's editorial director at Junkie Media, um, he, he said it a little more pointedly, wild that gallery journalists think that we do this all the time is a workable defence to cosy off-the-record drinks with political leaders. Now, the idea of journalists as insiders and being closer to the politicians than they are to their audiences, um, particularly with it, when they're in the press gallery or in, in Australia or the UK or within the press corps in the US, yeah, it's it's a big problem. Um my thoughts on this, I, I want to unpack it a bit. Oh, God, I hate saying unpack it a bit. I want to separate out what I think are three different threads. There's the hospitality, there's the off-record aspect, and then there's the disclosure aspect. Now, first things first, the hospitality. If someone has been with you the whole day, particularly if it's a long day and you've been travelling, I think that offering them some food and drink at the end of the day is just basic manners. Hospitality—it's in—it's there in the word, and uh, that's pretty common. If journalists are covering a conference or some other event, a media launch or whatever, there's there's often drinks and nibbles. That's a standard thing. Now, you know, we can talk about whether that should be a thing or not, but that's that aspect of it. My personal view is there's nothing wrong with feeding the horses, basically. The second one, though, is the off-the-record aspect, the whole idea that, well, we're mates now and we'll just chat and we'll talk about things um, and, and and you know, you won't write, write that down. And that's what, of course, uh, was the problem there with that young lad, young guy recording that thing is, oh, you're recording this here when we're not speaking on record and off record. Now, there is a whole journalistic practice of what is on record, what is off record, what is on background, and so on. They do get fuzzy, those rules, when it's at events like this. Now, I think a way to resolve this is, is by all means the parties should provide some 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 chaff and oats and, and, and a, a bit of fresh water for the horses at the end of the day. Don't then go down and gossip with them. Don't then go down and be mates with them. Just feed them. That's the thing. I mean, some of the defences put up by the journalists uh, have been along the lines of, well, that's where we get our stories from. That's where we learn the the behind-the-scenes stuff when we're talking with people off, off the record. Now, that's, yes, but catching up, with a Member of Parliament or a political advisor for a quiet little drink somewhere else and saying, hey, let me tell you about what's coming up. Um, Sure, but then, you know, are they then the according to a highly placed source? The whole issue of of sourcing is is very complicated. You know, I I personally don't think that uh, political operatives should be able to be, you know, providing stuff as a source, as an unnamed source, when all they're doing is pushing their organisation's pitch. I mean, just just do it. I don't know. That's that's a complicated thing. And then the other one is not disclosing it. Like, it was clear that when that story ran, it was news to a hell of a lot of people that this was a thing that happened. Journalists know it happens because they're there or, I mean, I'm not a political journalist, but I have covered events at which politicians have been and there have been drinks and I've had conversations and there hasn't, in my case, been anything in particular to report about. Um, but if there had been, you know, I wouldn't consider it off the record. I would, I would not go into a thing talking with a politician in that environment and expect it to be off the record. Um other journalists I know have done that with commercial organizations and and there's been some formal press event and then there's been drinks in the evening and one of the corporate executives has uh, said said things that they probably shouldn't have said, oh, that's interesting. bang news story comes out about that and suddenly oh that's that's terrible. How dare you print that and I said well, you said it, you said it to a journalist um. If you don't want it reported, don't say it to a journalist. It it's a fuzzy area. I don't think it's it's as as simple as people say, oh well journalists should never drink with politicians. Uh or, or speak with them unless it's in some formal in, interrogation environment or interview or whatever you want to call it. But fucking hell, you just dis, you disclose stuff. In my case, and when I've been writing about technology stuff, uh, because the tech media outlets don't have a travel budget, I've accepted travel from various organisations, but they're disclosed in the story. And I have on my weekly wrap blog posts a section called Corporate Largesse where I I declare everything. Now, we also make it very clear to the people providing uh, travel and accommodation or whatever it is that... This does not guarantee that you will get favourable coverage. It doesn't actually guarantee that you'll get any coverage at all because if there's no news, we're not going to write it. Now, some organisations understand that. Some don't. Uh, I won't name names on this occasion. But it was interesting to see how that became a thing this week. Tiger Webb at the ABC, uh, he he tweeted, I wonder if there's anything else political journalists routinely do that would shock non-media workers. And I suggested, yeah, marry or be in a relationship with a politician when you're a political journalist. Chris Ullman, now at Channel 9, was at uh, the ABC, he's married to Gay Brodman. She was the Labor MP, federal MP for Canberra. David Penberthy, uh, now with 5AA uh, Radio in Adelaide, but um, he was uh, a Murdoch journalist. He was editor of the Daily Telegraph for a period and so on. He's married to Kate Ellis, who was the Labor MP for the seat of Adelaide. There are probably others that I don't know about. I just know of those two um, right off the top of my head. That, to me, is like, wait, you are reporting on politics and you are married to, at the time, a serving member of parliament. Now, I have no specific allegation against either Allman or Pemberthy, except that Allman's just a cunt. Um, but, but it's not a good look, and I, I just don't understand how any newsroom would allow that. I mean, the, the. Obvious potential for a conflict of interest is right there, and yet that's a thing. What do you think? I'm, I'm. Oh, do I want to do this? Yes, I am going to allow comments on this web page. I'm going to regret this. I'm so going to gr- regret this. I, I'm going to moderate them. They, nothing will be posted uh, until I let it through. So don't, just don't be a cunt. Uh, don't be some idiot partisan politician. But if you've got some actual meaningful input into it, I'll certainly publish it. I'm curious to know what, what people think. Um, for mine, transparency is the key, and it's clear that in this case, uh, this kind of event is totally not transparent uh, to the population and and for journalists to blame the population for not understanding it No, 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 that's the journalist's fault. It's your job to uh, ensure that people understand where you're coming from and how your sausage is made. A couple of years ago, I registered the internet domain hingometer.com, and the plan at the time was to... uh, I don't know, do something. I, w- I wasn't quite sure what, but do something along the lines of measuring how unhinged politics was becoming. We are in an election campaign, of course, and it is going to get uh, very unhinged indeed. Uh, and I'm thinking about you know, what I might do with this kind of unhinging score. But first, a gaffe by ALP leader Anthony Albanese on figures for
2: unemployment and the Reserve Bank's cash rate sent the Twitterverse into overdrive as media speculation on these implications drowned out all other news stories on the first day of the election campaign. It was a welcome relief for Scott Morrison, who himself was under pressure, to explain why Alan Tudge, after having stepped down as higher education minister for a sex scandal inquiry, was still officially a cabinet minister, a curious status that also provoked many questions.
1: That's a clip from the current affairs program, The Wire, on Australian um, community radio, uh, mostly from 2SER in Sydney. And this was the stupidity that dominated the early part of the the week. Anthony Albanese, I keep saying Anthony because I know Anthony Green, but Anthony Albanese, um, didn't know offhand a couple of certain numbers. And uh, the Herald Sun, for example, uh, headlined... Don't count on me! Fast start, F-A-R-C-E-R-R. Albo's bid for top jobs stumbles on day one as he fails to recall basic figures on jobless and interest rates. And then the story itself kicks off. Labour's campaign was in crisis on day one, with Anthony Albanese forced to issue an embarrassing apology after he couldn't recall critical economic figures. He had received widespread ridicule uh, for hinging his campaign on uh, unemployment when he and the economy when he didn't know the numbers. I don't know about you, but I don't bother memorising things that change frequently, and I can just look up. Um, there are so many things that busy people have to remember that. Um, that's what, that's what we invented pencil and paper for. That's what we invented computers for, to keep track of all this information. People often ask me, for example, you know, what are you doing next Wednesday? And I, I don't know. It's in the computer. You know, what, what, what's, you know, what's happening? I, I said, I, I write these down and then I don't have to fill my head with all of this fine detail, which I might forget. I can just look it up. Um, I'm going to score this. Yeah, I am coming back to the hinge uh, concept. I'm going to score that a plus one on the unhinging um, because, I mean, former Prime Minister John Howard, when he heard that this has happened, they said, oh, John Howard, do you want to comment? And he just said, what? No, you know, he didn't care. Now, that said, he didn't wind that back. The next day, John Howard is going, oh, no, 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 that's terrible, even though he said it didn't care before. Yeah, get get with the narrative, Mr Howard. You've got to get your message right. Look, I'm scoring that an unhinging level of plus one because it's not that much worse than the usual kind of unhinging that happens in political reportage. On the other hand... Uh, when Greens leader Adam Band again, was at the National Press Club on Wednesday, uh, the Australian Financial Reviews journalist Ronald Miesen stood up on his hind legs and said this.
2: You said in the speech that uh, wages growth wasn't going uh, particularly well. What's the current WPI? Well... <laughs> Google it, mate. I mean... Like I am I am sick if you want to know if you want to want know why people know are turning off mean. politics it's because way what way happens you when you have a an election that increasingly becomes this basic fact-checking exercise between a government that deserves to be turfed out and an opposition that's got no vision this is what happens like elections should be about a contest of ideas. Politics should be about reaching for the stars and offering a better society. And instead, and instead, there's these questions that are asked about can you tell us this particular stat or can you tell us that particular stat? And those questions are designed to show that politicians are somehow out of touch and not representative of everyday people. Well, newsflash: most of the people in Canberra are on six-figure salaries, just passing time until they go out and work for their coal and gas corporations and get a six or seven-figure lobbying job. Do you know what would be a better way of showing? Do you know what would be a better way of showing that politicians are in touch with the need of everyday peoples? It would be passing laws that lift the minimum wage. It would be making dental and mental into Medicare. It would be making sure that we wipe student debt and build affordable houses. And when you've got wages growing at about two and a bit percent and inflation growing at about three and a half percent, that is part of the problem. And I would hope, I would hope that at this election, we can lift the standard and turn it into a genuine contest of ideas. Your
1: proper tax. (laughs) (laughs) Ah dear, sit down, Ronald. Twat. Uh, Ronald Meisen then uh, tweeted later in the day, Not reading Twitter for 24 hours for obvious reasons, but my wife tells me some of you think I look youthful, you're too kind. Also, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but if you make a claim about poor wages, you should probably know the key measure of wages. Anyway, see you on the flip side. Yeah, you don't... (sighs) I mean, you can tell when I'm violin is out of tune without knowing by how many hertz. You can <sighs> drongo. Uh, anyway, I'm rating um that question of Ronald Meisen on an unhinged score of plus two rather than just plus one because he, he went the extra yards, didn't he, to you know, to, to just continue this stupid thing even after it had been um Beginning two days of criticism uh, for being bad journalism. And Casey Briggs, the ABC data data journalist said, uh, on Twitter again, any person who wants to be Prime Minister should be able to name the Director-General of IP Australia at the drop of a hat. That's uh, Intellectual Property Australia. They handle uh, copyright things and such like. Uh, he said, oh, you want to lead the country? OK, smart guy, tell me the name of the chairperson of the Audit and Risk Committee for More Bank Intermodal Company Limited. A real visionary could tell me right now how many kilometres of rail are managed by the Australian Rail Track Corporation. Byron Kay took it one further on Twitter. Breaking news, elbow claws back marginal seat support by reciting pi to 3,000 decimal points. And yet this was still going today, Thursday, uh, as Fiona um, Katsourkas said, she's a cartoonist, and her name is Fiona Katsourkas, I can actually pronounce it. She noted that yet again journalists are ironically discussing how Albanese's gaffe dominated the week without the slightest reflection on their role in constantly pushing it. The tudge issue was apparently blown out of the water by Albanese's gaffe. Incredible how passive the media are in their coverage. The issues just forced themselves to the top of news bulletins with no journalistic input at all. And she's right. It's quite it's quite Remarkable. I'm not helping it either, am I? Except to criticise that it shouldn't be a thing. Then there's Namegate. Na- oh, this is a little one. I'm going to call it Namegate. In South Australia, uh, Liberal candidate Alison Bluck, who's running for the seat of Mayo in, in uh, the Adelaide Hills, the old uh, the old Alexander Downer seat. Uh, She's up against uh, uh, Popular Independent there. Um, She's described by the Liberal Party, this is Alison Bluck, as a financial professional with experience in the defence, energy and agriculture sectors. Um, She's had to apologise because she appeared to claim credit for the work of a woman with a similar name, Alison Buck, not Bluck, uh, who's the manager of a wilderness trail on Kangaroo Island uh, for the South Australian Department of the Environment, Um, a letter went out saying, as manager of the Kangaroo Island Nature Trail, I am passionate about the environment, said uh, Ms. Bluck. It isn't Ms. Bluck, it's Ms. Buck. So that was an apology. Um, Unhingedness, look, I'm going to say score zero because... It probably was just an honest mistake. Um, Ms Bluck's office is saying they were preparing a draft and presumably this was mistakenly put in because someone can't fucking read Um, and the draft went out instead of a version that was corrected and had that removed. Um, Incompetence is not unhingedness. Uh, I'll score a zero for that. A plus three score, though, for the Australians, uh, Greg Sheridan, who, after Adam Bant's National Press Club speech, ran the headline, Greens leaders' vision is a national nightmare. Addison Bant's speech to the National Press Club makes it clear the Greens are a grave threat to national security. I didn't bother reading it, plus three, just for the fucking headline on that. Greg Sheridan. Now, speaking of uh, Murdoch outlets, there's an organisation called Australians for a Murdoch Royal Commission. This is the thing led by uh, former Labor Prime Minister Kevin Rudd uh, and also by Sally Rugg, who heads up the ACTU, the Australian Council of Trade Unions. They tweeted, uh, big news, we're in the final stages of building a cutting edge app to enable people to report Murdoch bias and lies dressed up as, quote, news, unquote, to the regulators, the public, and to Parliament with a few clicks. Can you help Murdoch Watch finished – oh, can you help get Murdoch Watch finished and distributed? And then um, they link to a thing asking for money. Now, This is very close to the uh, mad fucking witches kind of concept. Murdoch is the enemy. And to me, I mean, A, it doesn't have to be an app. Why does everything have to be an app? If you're just reporting things, it's a web form. If you want to get money, it's just another web form. It doesn't have to be an app, not let alone a cutting-edge app. What's so fucking cutting-edge about it? No, I've not downloaded it. I'm not not putting this shit on my phone. But seriously, I'm... Having Murdoch – okay, there's a lot to complain about Rupert Murdoch. Let's be clear, I'm not defending him. But to have everything reduced to this cartoon villain makes it a whole lot easier to avoid – introspection for those on the left. Well, actually, I'll quote Simon Copland. He's uh, from the Australian National University School of Sociology. He said, I will never understand the left's obsession with Murdoch. We could take all that energy and direct it into campaigning on actual issues and we'd be so much more successful. Exactly. I mean, constantly saying... That the left isn't in power because of Murdoch means you don't actually have to review your own actions, your own incompetences, your own failures. Oh, it's Murdoch. It's all Murdoch. Fucking idiots. So plus two, I reckon. I mean, Murdoch unhingedness isn't new, but this is taking it to the next level with like, oh, you know. An app. This app, I mean, people are just going to report every fiddly little thing they don't like. It's going to flood out the more substantial issues. It's going to be a lot of activity uh, that, it, that achieves nothing. Uh, for what it's worth, The Guardian reports that uh, there's a, a memo going around News Corp Australasia uh, an all-staff memo saying that uh, with scrutiny on election coverage likely to increase, he's making it clear, there's no one News Corp view on the election. The very fact you have to say that is a bit of a giveaway, though, isn't it? No, 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 we're not all, you know, hive, mind, whatever. And Glenn Gyron on Twitter, uh, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn tweets... Um, I feel sorry for good Australian journalists. There aren't many and the public doesn't recognise who they are. You really need to go further than who do they work for and analyse their work. And that's absolutely true. There's there's good journalism at every outlet. There's shocking journalism at every outlet. And just because Murdoch is somehow involved with it doesn't mean it's automatically bad. Judge it on its merits. So, plus two for that. Um, George Christensen. (laughs) George Christensen is running uh, no longer for the Queensland uh, LNP, but for Pauline Hanson's One Nation. He is the third candidate on uh, the Queensland Senate ticket, which means, yeah, he's not going to get elected. But it does mean two things, and they're both about money. One is... It means if Christensen loses his spot in Parliament, he gets a little-known entitlement called the Resettlement Allowance. Basically, if you are voted out or otherwise end your time in Parliament you know for a reason that's not your fault, you get three months of your basic salary plus... Uh, further allowance of another three months if you've served more than three full years uh, in parliament, or more than a full term, which he has. So, um, because Christensen will run in this election and lose, he'll get six months' salary free. Um, it's about a hundred and five thousand dollars, um, of that, and uh. Also, because it means that his personal following might bring more uh, votes to Paul Hansen's One Nation Party. There's an allowance. Your electoral allowance is for every vote you get. You got what a dollar thirty-five or something. Don't quote me on that exact figure, but uh, you know, just just running and getting votes mean you get some money to, to help reimburse your election costs. It's a curious little system. Now. This is Christensen being, you know, a, a bit of a grifter as, as the popular word goes. I must note to self, look up the origin of the word grift next time. But it does mean, you know, if he gets in, he gets in. If he doesn't, he still gets 100 grand. Um, or is that half the salary? I don't know. It's a bunch of money. Look it up for yourselves but the fact that he's running for one nation the fact that he's the full on anti vaxer etc grifter that's going to be fun that's going to attract a lot of media attention i reckon that's a plus 3 on uh, on the hingeometer. i mentioned the seat of mayo before its former occupant alexander downer the honorable alexander downer now I mean, sort of retired. Um, he wrote a, a piece for, uh, where was it, Financial... It was the Fin, wasn't it? Yes, the Australian Financial Review again, in which he railed against um, the various independent candidates running, saying, and I quote, this is, these are the words of Alexander Downer, We want people who have an intellectual grasp of the major issues that face the country. Not one issue but many issues. The one thing you can be 100% sure of is that none of these independents, if they get elected, will be anything more but ephemeral holders of the seats that could otherwise produce great leaders. Take Josh Frydenberg in Kuyong and Dave Sharma in Wentworth. These are people who could become truly great men. But if the independents defeat them, those independents will be totally forgotten in ten years time. Did I mention that the vast majority of those independents are women? But Josh Freienberg, he could be a great man. It's it's a very polite sort of unhinging, but it it is just ah oh, plus two. Plus two for that. And um the final one I'll mention um, is there's a Twitter account called Worst of Ospol, uh, which is uh, tweeting screenshots of just terrible, terrible political tweets. Uh, there's one here uh, from Alec Cat who has, oh, what are what are all these um these emoji? There's a dolphin, uh, there's an umbrella, there's a mermaid, there's a snowflake, there's a, f- a fairy. Is that yeah, a little winged fairy? And uh, a maple leaf, but I don't think they intend it to be a maple leaf. And they say, Imagine if postal votes were redirected by Australia Post to the Liberals who then filled out dummy votes. Is AustPost Liberal-owned? No, Australia Post is not Liberal-owned, you fucking goose. Plus three, plus three for that idiocy. Uh, so that gives a total of plus 16 on the Hingeometer. Plus uh, this week, if you have any uh, suggestions for what should go into the hingeometer uh, score, do put them in the comments, or tell me on Twitter, or email me, or or whatever. Yeah, I'm reducing this election coverage to this uh, to this bullshit. I should say that on that note, John kadilka friend of the pod, cartoonist down in Hobart, he said. It would be amazing television to do a Big Brother sort of thing where you lock up a bunch of partisans during the election campaign and tell them stuff that happened but not which team it was and then ask them if it's good or bad. I reckon that should be worked up into a treatment a bit late for this election, but that's a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's no longer good because we do it and bad because the other people do it. It, it, it. What about of its own merits? Anyway, that's it. That's the segment called The Hingeometer. I should probably take all of this more seriously, shouldn't I? Um, I have been following the betting odds, as you know, uh, and this is interesting. For weeks now, um, I'm using Sportsbet, but the others are similar. Um, For weeks now, it's been showing Labor as the favourite with... Winning prices are between $1.30 and $1.35 for a Labor win. Uh, Coalition around the $3.50 mark. Uh, Any other result. I think the last I saw was $81. But just as the polls are starting to, you know, show this mythical, the narrowing, there's this, this, this idea that the closer you get to the election, the narrower the margin gets. I personally think people are hallucinating. But... The odds are narrowing. Um, On Monday, after the election was announced, there was a distinct shift. And uh, as I speak to you now, it's no longer $1.30 to $1.35 for a Labor win. It's now Mm $1.55. Coalition has narrowed from around the $3.50 mark to $2.40. Any other result, $67. Six weeks to go, people. Well, five and a half now. Um, Ben Jenkins on Twitter has some predictions too. He's a comedy writer. He says, uh, I'm going to get two predictions out of the way. One, despite being quite genuinely reviled, Morrison will win because Australia is a silly place politically. I'm not quite ready to agree with Ben, but we shall see. And two... This will create a sort of psychic trauma amongst the lefty boomers that will make the dismissal of Gough Whitlam look like Kevin 07. Wow. Don't know, Ben Jenkins. I th- I, I still think we've. I reckon we might have uh, George Christensen in. I, I do think uh, we're going to see uh, Senator Craig Kelly, or is he going for a lower house seat? We're certainly going to see. Um, a lot more weirdness in this parliament. And to wrap up, and to wrap up, I should say, I did quote Greg Jericho at the very beginning of the pod. I'm going to quote him again uh, to finish. He says today, feel like we might be getting past the silly opening few days when everyone was a bit too hyped up on red cordial. But then he adds, don't worry, I might just be giddy from lack of sleep. Yeah, Sorry, Greg. I think it's going to be silly all the way through. That's all the Edict for now. Another election episode uh, on Thursday. It'll be every Thursday after that. Don't forget, if you want to get your thing into JB's mind, Thursday night, the 21st, we need to know about that. Until then, I'm still Garyin'. Wash your hands! Or should I say, vote early, vote often! The 9pm edict is a skank media production. Sorry.